All right, today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 23, just the first 12 verses. Of course, this is Jesus speaking, as we see in verse 1 that then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples. So these are Jesus' words as he speaks to the crowd and the disciples. Before we get into the scriptures, though, let me just introduce the message this way for you. People have compared religion to a mountain with heaven on top, just like this illustration here shows. A lot of people in our world believe there's all kinds of ways to heaven, ways to God. It doesn't really matter which uh, path or trail you take to get there. They're all leading to the same place. There's many roads that lead to heaven and to God, so they speak. Well, if anyone ever finds themselves thinking this way, and, and they and, and they think there's... Uh, you know, you just need to have sincere faith, and they think any kind of sincere faith will do. Well, that person needs to read Jesus' last public sermon here in Matthew chapter 23. Because Jesus certainly did not believe there were many ways to God and many ways to heaven. The only thing that matters as far as they're concerned is a sincere faith. Well, what we're going to see here is a group of people, scribes and Pharisees in particular, who were very sincere in their, in their faith, but they were sincerely wrong. Jesus makes that quite clear because we're going to see in the first seven verses, Jesus warned the people about false religious leaders in Israel. And he's specifically talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. If you look at verse 2, he, he, he specifically mentions them, the scribes and the Pharisees. These were uh, the, the religious people of that day in, in Judaism. And so in, in those first seven verses, Jesus is giving a very strong warning here about these kind of people, these false religious leaders. And then in verses 8 through 12, we're going to see Jesus exhorting the disciples as well as, by the way, other true spiritual leaders. He, he's going to exhort us not to imitate them. Now, why are we not... And why were, why were the disciples and all spiritual leaders not to imitate them? It, it's, it's summed up this way. Jesus calls them hypocrites several times. In fact, if you look down in verse 3, sorry, not verse 3, verse 13, verse 13, verse 13, Jesus says this several times. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Now, originally, a hypocrite in, in the Greek language was someone who was an actor. And as they were acting, this person would be up on the stage, and they would, they would have these white masks that would have a frowny face or a smiley face, or, and they could switch their faces, and they could play different people. One person could do this. Originally, that's what a hypocrite was. Somebody who'd wear a different mask and could play different parts by switching the mask. And so Jesus is calling these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, and that's why they're not to be imitated. And, and how do we know? How do we know they're hypocrites, by the way? Besides the fact Jesus calls them that. Well, here, here's basically my theme. Here's the theme, the big idea, the main idea. And I'll put it on the screen for you. False spiritual leaders show their hypocrisy by worshiping themselves. 
That's where it comes down to. It's idolatry. They worship themselves. These false spiritual leaders are hypocrites. They pretend so-called to be worshiping God, but in reality, they're actually worshiping themselves. And that's quite clear by what Jesus is going to tell us here in this passage. So let's look at the first few verses here. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to present five characteristics of the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees. Now, that's pretty strong words, I know. But Jesus clearly believed that they were unbelievers. They refused to repent of their sin and to put their faith in Jesus. They were religious, but lost. They were to be the religious leaders, the ones who were to be the teachers of Israel, but they themselves did not have any sort of a relationship with God. By the way, these are characteristics that typify all spiritual leaders, and you'll be able to see these manifested on your televisions, in books, magazines, on blogs, and on the Internet, and so forth. And so... We don't want to just, don't just look at this today and say, man, that was nice way back then. Jesus had to deal with that, but we don't have to. Wrong. <laughs> you need to be aware of these characteristics. These are the things you need to pray for in your spiritual leaders. These are the things you need to expect in your spiritual leaders. And if you don't see them, you need to do something about it. All right, so let's look at the description of false spiritual leaders here in the first seven verses. Number one, we see Jesus says here that false leaders lack authority. False leaders lack authority. Look at, again, let's read verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, it may not be so obvious to you by reading, just simply reading the English here, but there, we actually have an English translation that says, that these scribes and Pharisees sit themselves on Moses' seat. And that's, that's, that is exactly what it's saying. That is literally what it's saying. They were, the, they were seating themselves in this position of authority. Now, the key to Christ's point here is the fact that the scribes and Pharisees had done this themselves. Nobody had, had given them this authority. They just took it. They were not appointed by God to sit in the chair of Moses. They just simply claimed it for themselves. Now, let's be clear. What are they claiming? You might ask, what are these people claiming? What is the chair of Moses? Well, let's take the word chair to start with. The word chair is actually from a Greek term called cathedra. Cathedra is the Greek word. We get an English word called cathedral from that Greek word. Cathedral, by the way, originally referred to a place of church authority. Originally, it referred to church authority. And so for the Jews, Moses, of course, was the supreme lawgiver. He's the one whom God used to give us the first five books in our Bible. He's the one who wrote out all those, I don't know, what is there, 613 laws or something there? He was the supreme spokesman for God. Many considered him to be the greatest prophet of Israel. So therefore, to sit in the chair of Moses, like the scribes and Pharisees were doing here, was to say, hey, I am equal uh, to being God's authoritative spokesman. 
They're claiming to be God's authoritative spokesman when God hadn't, he hadn't actually given them that right and that position. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus, don't turn there, but Jesus warned that such leaders are really false shepherds. And they don't enter the sheepfold like you'll see the picture of a sheepfold on the screen here. They, they don't enter it by the door. They would, in ancient Israel, they'd build these sheepfolds often out of, uh, they'd just pile up rocks and, and the shepherd would often guard the sheep by being at the door. But sometimes there might be false shepherds or, uh, people who want to come in and they would, they would, they, they, they climb over the fence and, and they weren't coming in to do good things. They're coming in to wreak havoc. They're coming in to, uh, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, these thieves come only to steal and kill and destroy. They don't represent God. They're false shepherds. They're actually destroyers of God's word. They're destroyers of God's people and destroyers of God's work. Which, by the way, is is exact opposite of the way Timothy was. Timothy was uh, one of Paul's... uh, students, shall we say. And so there's a marked contrast between these false shepherds, these false leaders of Israel, and and there was like Timothy. Timothy was called of God. Timothy was set apart. He was, uh, uh, the the leadership laid their hands on Timothy. It It was their confirmation of God's call on his life. Timothy had a divine commission from God. He was the authority of God was put upon him, and the leadership of the churches recognized that. Paul recognized that. And that's why Paul says, lay your hands on him. He is a worthy servant of God. I remember the day when the church I grew up in did, did that very thing. They recognized the call of God on me. Uh, I had been ordained. Uh, I had to go through this ordination service where where they, uh, one of the things they do is the, the various pastors and, uh, and deacons in the church grilled me for a couple hours about various doctrinal questions and practical things from the Bible. And then they said, okay, all right, well, we'll lay hands on you uh, on the next Sunday service. And so the leadership of the church had me come up in front of the whole congregation. It was kind of embarrassing. And so they did what the Bible talks about, like what Paul and, and, and these others did to Timothy. They, they laid their hands on me and and prayed for me. And I was ordained into the gospel ministry. I still got a plaque that's on my bookshelf today in my study. All the various people, deacons and elders and pastors signed it. That was a special day. It was recognizing what, what God's authority had been placed on me. But that's, that's something totally different from these people. These people were claiming God's authority for themselves when God had never given them that authority. It's sad, because this concerns me as your shepherd, as your pastor, that just as it was in Jesus' day, the world is still abounding with these false teachers and these false leaders who claim to speak in God's name, but they do not. I tell you that the day we live in really concerns me. It's something that's constantly on my heart is every, every day of the week I'm wondering, what are all of you doing? Because 
We have the internet, we have the television, we got books and magazines, blogs, and the list goes on. The false teachers and leaders are out there everywhere trying to get your attention. And as your shepherd, I'm sitting, I'm trying to sit at the gate of the sheepfold wondering, okay, which, which false shepherd's now trying to get in and wreak havoc in the flock? These people try to deceive people with their lies, their false promises, their delusions, their dreams, their visions, and so forth. Their books, their magazines, their blogs, their sermons, which you can download and listen to at any any day of the week. It's kind of scary as a shepherd, as a pastor. I have to trust in God. The great shepherd has given me this this authority that uh, it's really not my church anyway. It's his. But false leaders lack many things. But number two, we see in verse 3 that these false leaders lack integrity. They lack authority. They lack integrity. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. So if you ever wondered where where that saying come from, it probably came from Jesus right here. They didn't practice what they preach. And that is a sheer sign of a false leader, of a false teacher. By the way, Jesus is not giving total approval for following the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, That's not the point. But what Jesus is doing, he's actually warning here about throwing the baby out with the dirty bathwater. You ever heard that saying? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? The idea is some people say they, they see dirty water you know, oh, that shouldn't be in the house, so whoosh, throw it outside. Whoops, there was a baby in there. Right? We do that theologically sometimes. <laughs> we, see the, we see the dirty theological water. Well, let's throw that out. Whoops, we just threw something good out with it. Right? And so Jesus is saying here, hey, if, if these people are speaking God's truth, you need to do it. You need to observe it. The Word of God, by the way, doesn't change. It doesn't matter who's saying it. It's still the Word of God, no matter who's saying it. And so even if it's coming from the mouth of a false teacher, yes, false teachers can still say truth. So, in this case, we've got false leaders saying, you know, some good things. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if, you know, do and observe whatever they tell you, but just not the works they do because they're not practicing what they preach. By the way, the verb there, do, is demanding an immediate response. It's actually a command. The word observe carries the idea of continuing action. It's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's in the present tense in the Greek. It, the idea is Jesus is saying, immediately obey and keep on obeying whatever those scribes and those Pharisees teach, as long as, long as they're teaching God's word. Do what they say. Observe it. But notice Jesus also says here, do not do the works they do. So what's the problem here? The problem was, they're religious phonies. They're like the, the original Greek actors. They're switching the mask, you know. Oh, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my smiley face. Now here's my frowny face. Right? They're, they're switching. They're phonies. They're fakes. They're not practicing what they preach. So false leaders lack integrity. False leaders lack authority. And number three, false leaders lack sympathy. 
They lack sympathy. Kind of like this donkey. There's a donkey in the picture here. In case you can't see the poor donkey who's laden with his burden, that's actually a donkey. Okay? And that's what Jesus, the reason I put that picture there for you, because that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, these false leaders, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. <laughs> in case you're not getting the picture, because maybe, you, maybe you've got some, uh, some cultural barrier going on here. I, I, hopefully that picture helps, because the picture that Jesus is giving here actually reflects a custom of Jesus' day where sometimes they would take a donkey a beast of burden, they would load up a donkey to the point where the poor donkey could hardly move. Sometimes the donkey might collapse under the weight of its burden. And so as they travel down the road, uh, the owner of the donkey might walk alongside. He's not doing any work. He's not carrying a thing. All he has is his, his little switch to beat the donkey, to keep the donkey moving. And, and had no sympathy for the poor little donkey. He'd beat that thing if it tried to stop or sit down. If it, if, it, if it stumbled, he had no concern for the animal's welfare. And so Jesus, this is what he's thinking of when he says these false leaders, these false spiritual leaders are loading up people like they're a donkey and driving them around and have no concern for them, no concern for their welfare. And that's exactly the way the scribes and Pharisees treated their fellow Jews. They would pile up heavy loads of religious rules, not, li- not literally like this donkey, but they would give them all these religious rules. Remember, originally Moses had something like 613, and the scribes and Pharisees, they, uh, to protect the law, they added all sorts of other things. As if the 613 weren't hard enough to keep as it was. In fact, that was impossible. They just made it all the more harder. And they had all these rituals that they would put on people until it was impossible to carry and everybody's collapsing under the load. And so when the people failed to keep all the requirements, do you think they were sympathetic? No, they weren't sympathetic. When people were collapsing under the load, they would they'd actually be rebuked by their leaders. The people were taught that it was only by their own good works that they could earn God's favor. The, the only way you could please God is you've got to keep all these rules. If at the end of life the good works outweighed the bad, you know, the, the old scale kind of a system, that's what they believed. And they, they thought, well, you know, if your good works outweigh your bad, then God's going to grant you entrance into heaven. And so the scribes Pharisees offered people no help, by the way, in achieving those fleshly goals much less any spiritual ones. And so they themselves, as, as it says, they were unwilling to uh, help move these unbearable burdens for people. As Jesus says, they, they wouldn't even lift a finger. So consequently, Judaism had become depressing, it had become debilitating. And on the other hand, what does the Bible say? Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus comes along and He says, You can't carry the burden, but I'll carry it for you. That's the good news that Jesus has has taken what we can't bear, which is our sin. So when Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died, he bore that sin. He took that penalty 
that you deserve. Well, false religious leaders today are still doing this sort of thing, building their own empires, amassing fortunes by fleecing the people that they're pretending to serve. Millions of believers around around the globe, and and unbelievers at, at that fact too, by the way, are being misled by these spiritually abused, emotionally, they're they're being, well, let me put it this way, they're being spiritually abused, they're being abused emotionally, they're being tricked financially, and you know what, while they do this, they do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Disturbing. Makes me angry. You see these people being fleeced by these people who claim to be leaders for God, when in reality they're not. Jesus felt this. In fact, if you read earlier in Matthew, earlier in Jesus' ministry, as Jesus was looking out over the multitudes, the very people, by the way, who had been fleeced and, and uh, by the corrupt religious leaders of Israel, Jesus says in Matthew 9 that he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So it must have been gloriously refreshing to these people to hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 say, here's here's what Jesus says, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden or load is light. How refreshing that is. Very different from the false spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, these scribes and Pharisees. Number four, we see a fourth characteristic or description of these false spiritual leaders. We see that in verse 5, these false leaders lack spirituality. In other words, they weren't spiritual. Oh, they might look like it, but not really. Look what Jesus says in verse 5. They do all their deeds, all their amazing acts and works. Notice their purpose, their reason. Verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. You see that? For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Wow. False religious leaders, in other words, they don't have a genuine desire to please God. They're not doing this out of love for God. What are they, why are they doing this? Jesus knows their heart, and he says, they're doing it so they can be seen by other people. They want the praise of their fellow Jews. And so the motivation for all their religious activities and deeds is just simply to be noticed by people. You ever met a, a leader, a spiritual leader like that? They love the fame, the prestige that comes with this position and this empire that they built up. A lot of those around today, just like these scribes and Pharisees. Everything's done for outward show rather than actually from their hearts. So their purpose here is not to glorify God, is it? Their purpose is to glorify themselves. And that's why, that's why I'm saying my theme from this text is that these false spiritual leaders are, are hypocrites, and they're showing that by their self-worship. So these Jewish religious leaders paraded their piety everywhere they went. Oh, they're very pious. 
appeared to be very devoted to God. I'll, I'll just give you a few examples from Matthew. For example, Matthew says when they prayed on the street corner, they would do it with great showiness. Oh, God! Yahweh! I love you! You know, everybody's seeing this, and they're wearing their their long tassels. They got their phylacteries on their foreheads and on their arms, and I'll show you a picture of that in a moment. But they And then they'd go around fasting, and they would do that all to call attention to their sacrifice. And everybody else would look at them and say, Wow, I wish I... I wish I was like those scribes and Pharisees. They love God. I don't love God like they do. I wish I could be like them. So hundreds of such fleshly frauds still proclaim themselves today as representatives of God. These people are followed by millions of gullible people who support them with their millions of dollars, sometimes billions it seems. Why are they doing this? Why do these false leaders do this? They're, they're building up their egos, feeding their egos. They're amassing wealth and power. Some of these, some of these guys got Lear jets, private Lear jets, multiple, you know, very expensive cars, mansions in various continents around the world, fleecing gullible people to get that feeding their egos, amassing their wealth and power. And these false leaders sometimes are pastors of huge churches. Some some of these churches are over 20,000 people. Some of them head colleges and seminaries, some direct radio stations or television empires. Very famous, some of them. In Jesus' day, by the way, the means for uh, being noticed by people wasn't so sophisticated or it was certainly less limited than it, than it is today. Of course, there was no TV stations in Jesus' day. There was, they didn't have the magazines and the, 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 the World Wide Web and so forth. And so it was less limited. It was, it was limited. It was less sophisticated. And so these false leaders, they were reflecting the same sort of prideful attitude, but the way they did it is they would broaden their phylacteries and they would lengthen the tassels on their garments and they would do all this, why? To be seen by men. They would flaunt their religiosity all to just be seen by people. They wanted to be famous. Let me explain the the concept here that Jesus is talking about because there might be a little bit of a cultural barrier for you because we don't have religious leaders in Christianity, going around wearing phylacteries and having garment, you know, these these tassels on their garments. So you need to understand something that four times in the Pentateuch, God commanded that His law was to be upon the hands and the foreheads of His people. And, and by the way, that was done to be a reminder of God, just like you see in this this picture here. They would they would wrap it around their arm. They would wrap it this the phylactery this box on their forehead. The ancient Jews, they would follow that command that you see in the Pentateuch, and they would follow it literally. God didn't mean them to do it literally, but they did it literally because to, to put a box on your forehead was easier than actually obeying God in the heart. Much easier to put a box on my forehead than actually observe God's Word in my heart. You see the difference? That's what they were doing. And so as the centuries passed, many of the Jews came to look on this command as just a means of making themselves 
look good in, in the eyes of their fellow Jews. They externalized the command when God meant it to be internal. It was just the means of feeding their egos. So you'll see in that, that, that top photo there, that's a phylactery. Phylacteries were small square boxes that was made of leather, and they would make it from the, the leather of a ceremonially clean animal. And they would dye it black, and then the leather would be sewn into a box using 12 stitches. The 12 stitches represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then what they'd do is they would take a few portions of Scripture and put it inside that box. And then they would wrap it on their forehead, and then they, the other one they would wrap on their arm. And by the way, the portions of Scripture came from Exodus chapter 13 and Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. So it wasn't all of Scripture, just portions. So rather than wearing their phylacteries only at prayer time, which is what the Pentateuch talked about, and, and that was supposed to be the custom of the day of the Jewish men, the Pharisees, what they would do, they, they want, remember, they're trying to be famous, they want to look good to all the other Jews. So they, they, they got this idea, hey, instead of just wearing it for prayer time, we'll wear these things all the time when we're in public. And so all the Jews will see us wearing these things, and they're, and they're going to think that we're spiritual. So they wore them continually as a sign of some, some superior spirituality. And they would broaden their phylacteries. And so instead of just having one little phylactery on their forehead, no, that's, that's make it bigger. <laughs> right? Instead of just having a little tassel hanging off my garment, no, we'll make them bigger and longer and more impressive, and then everybody will think I'm more spiritual. And so that's what they did. It's all about the show. <laughs> it's supposed to be greater devotion to God if you have a bigger phylactery. Yeah, I could just see this big box hanging on a guy's forehead. Whoa, man, you got to get a little top-heavy, wouldn't you? You want to make sure that the guy way down at the other end of Jerusalem can see me. <laughs> and so, rather than just wearing them at prayer time, which was the custom, they, they, they end up wearing these things all the time, pretty much. Well, the same purpose, by the way, was supposed to be for these tassels hanging off their garments. And so Jesus talks about them. They would lengthen the tassels. Uh, you'll see a picture of, uh, in the next slide there, of, of uh, somebody with a tassel hanging off their sleeve. So turn, turn to the next one, please. Uh, so the use of the tassels had its origin in Scripture, just like the phylacteries. In Numbers chapter 15, God instructed Moses. Here, well, here's what God instructed Moses. He said, uh, to tell the sons of Israel that they shall... Make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them, not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, but after which you played the harlot, in order that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God." That comes from Numbers chapter 15. So God had said something about these, these tassels hanging from their garments, but like a lot of other things, the scribes and Pharisees weren't doing it out of love for God. They wanted to be seen by the people. 
And so if you have a bigger, more impressive tassel hanging from your garments, you have more of them, the people would think they were more spiritual. Well, as you can see, the purpose of both the phylacteries as well as the tassels was to remind the people of God. Do you think they were doing it for that purpose? No way. They weren't doing it to remind people of God. They weren't doing it to remind people of His Word. They they weren't doing it to set themselves apart. By the way, all those, those outward symbols were intended to be reminders. They're to be motivators. They were given as a means of calling attention to God. But the scribes and Pharisees, what they did is they took something that was originally good and twisted it, corrupted it, and now it became a means of calling attention to themselves. And so because of their misuse, the broadened phylacteries and the lengthened tassels became really marks of carnality. It was, it was fleshly. It was sinful rather than spiritual. So Jesus warned about this. The fifth characteristic of false spiritual leaders is they lack humility. They lack humility. Look what Jesus says in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, And they love the place of honor at feast, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. And so you'll see the scribes and Pharisees here. Number one, notice Jesus says, They love the place of honor at banquets. In, in fact, uh, we've learned that they actually competed against each other to be the, to be the one to sit in the center of the table because that was the place of honor. They wanted to be right next to the host in order to be the center of attention. Now, why would they want to do that? Why would they fight against each other to be next to the host? Well, they wanted to be famous because everyone's looking at the host, and if they're looking at the host, they're going to see the guy sitting next to the host. I know, that kind of sounds silly. You would never do anything like that, would you? Of course not. No, we, we would never do anything proud like that, just like these false leaders, but we do. There, there's something within all of us who that the, the pride just swells up. We, we love that sort of a thing. And so out of pride, the scribes and Pharisees, notice, also prized the chief seats in the synagogues. So it wasn't just at a banquet they would do this sort of thing. Hey, we, are, we want the chief seat in the synagogue. I've given you a picture of a, of a Jewish synagogue here. Notice it's very ornate. And right up at the front, there's this massive stage. A lot of churches today have stages, and synagogues typically would have a raised platform. Even in Jesus' day, they would have a raised platform in the front where the worship leaders would sit. Everybody could see them. They'd have the attention of the crowd. These visiting rabbis and, and any other religious celeb, uh, uh, um, celebrity that was there, they would, they'd be asked to uh, sit up on the stage if they were participating in the worship service. Anybody reading the scripture or giving a sermon or so forth would, would be up on that stage where everyone could see them. They're the center of the attention. And so Jesus says, hey, these scribes and Pharisees, that's where they want to be. They want to be up on the stage where they got all the attention. It's not about God, it's about them. They're worshiping themselves. They're hypocrites. And they would use these opportunities to proudly display themselves before the congregation. 
And so, in addition to having these seats of honor, the scribes and Pharisees notice Jesus says they would they'd love to walk around the marketplace. They'd love to have all these greetings in the marketplace. These and these were respectful greetings, by the way. Notice uh, Jesus talks about rabbi. Rabbi uh, originally it meant teacher, but it actually became to it became to be known much much greater than just a simple teacher. I guess the modern day equivalent would be, let's say you're walking around a grocery store and you see somebody and you just yell out, uh, "Sir, Sir Ed," I don't know. Yeah. Hey, Sir Ed, good to see you. You're awesome. You know, that's that's kind of like what they they would do. You know, Sir Rabbi. That's kind of our modern day equivalent, I guess. So these these false leaders were lacking humility. Again, it's all about their self-worship, their own idolatry. Well, then in verses 8 through 12, Jesus gives us a, a couple things here for us to, uh, to ponder, to think about. A declaration to true spiritual leaders. What does a true spiritual leader do? What does he look like? Well, number one, true leaders avoid elevated titles. They avoid these Elevated titles. Look what Jesus says in verse 8. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now there's three different points Jesus is giving there. These various elevated titles. Let me just... Uh, point these three things out to you. So what Jesus is doing for us here, he's warning against uh, the exploitation of titles. And why would Jesus do that? Well, if the main reason is because these titles would usurp God's authority. They, they, they were claiming God's glory when God says, I will not give my glory to another. First of all, the godly spiritual leaders were to avoid the title of rabbi. Like I said, originally it meant teacher, but unfortunately it had become far greater and far more important than just teacher. And Jesus says, why, why not go, go around calling people rabbi? Well, notice Jesus says, hey, I am the teacher. Jesus himself is the believer's only teacher. That's why you don't go around calling other people teacher. It takes away the glory from God. And so in the process here, Jesus is warning us to avoid academic arrogance. It's kind of like people going around, you know, they, they show off the letter D-R dot, right? Some people are like that. You know, they got this academic arrogance about them, and they got to put the D-R dot in front of their name. Call me Doc, please. You know, you can't, you can't call them by their first name. You got to call them by doctor. Jesus is saying you need to avoid academic arrogance. And so human teachers who, by the way, <laughs> human teachers who faithfully proclaim and interpret God's word, the Bible says are to be appreciated, to be loved, highly esteemed by those they serve. But the Bible also says human teachers are not, and I mean by that, pastors and elders and so forth, they're not to seek honor, they're not to glory in that honor. It's not really theirs anyway. And so, as, as a pastor, I need to remember, I'm not the source of the truth. 
God's word is the source of the truth. All I'm doing is sharing God's truth with you. I'm not the illumination of truth either. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. So I'm just, I'm just a simple messenger just like you. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you're just, you're just, you are all brothers. Notice Jesus is kind of putting everybody on the same plane here. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And the second, Jesus went on to command, do not call anyone on earth your father. Now, Jesus isn't talking about your earthly father here, but, but he's talking about your spiritual father. It's a spiritual sense here. What he's indicating is a superior, uh, a superior spiritual position. The idea, here's the point, all right? Jesus is saying, avoid this religious elitism. Avoid religious elitism that goes on in, in some denominations and religions even today. Uh, for example, I'll, I'll, it happens within the, the Roman Catholic system. It even happens within some Protestant groups where they've got this term for fathers, their official form of address. Uh, some of the ones that come to mind are their titles such as abbot or pope. So when they use words like abbot and pope, they're, they're saying, Father, you are my spiritual father. Well, Jesus said, don't do that. They're actually, they're actually disobeying Scripture when they do that. So the title of father, at least in a spiritual sense, was something that's reserved for God alone, not for any human being. Notice, third, the Bible says, do not be called instructors, for you have one instructor. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ, the Christ, it says. And so with just like the other titles, this one is forbidden when it's used in this formal sense. Something that was common in ancient Judaism, it's still common today in some religious circles. Uh, when it's wrongly used, these titles actually place a barrier between those who are in leadership and those that are in the church. And even worse than that, it actually steals God's glory. And that's, that's the, the, the worst problem in all of this, stealing God's glory. And so Jesus is saying, avoid authoritarian dominance. Avoid this authoritarian dominance. You're equal. So we see, first of all, they're, they're to avoid this, these elevated titles. And number two, True leaders accept lowly service. True leaders accept lowly service. Look at verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus beautifully illustrated this. I, I can't think of a better example for you than in John chapter 13. Of course, Jesus says the greatest person is the one who is a willing, humble servant. You see that? A one who is a willing, humble servant. And in John 13, Jesus really re reiterated this, this lesson of humble servanthood for us. And this was the last time he was alone with his disciples. He's there in the upper room. And look what Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, look what Jesus says in John 13. Or what the Bible says, sorry. The Bible says in John 13 that Jesus arose from supper, laid aside his garment, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. 
And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That's various verses from John chapter 13. So how did Jesus give us a good example here? He actually took the position of a slave. Washing another Jew's feet, another, a fellow Hebrew's feet, was something that a slave was supposed to do. It was a dirty, nasty, smelly, yucky job. Imagine yourself doing that. Somebody who's been walking around in horse poo all day, right? And so they got all this horse poo on their feet, and then they come in the house. Imagine you washing their feet. You're not going to want to do that. But that's what Jesus did. So the greatest person in God's sight, guess what? It is, is not the person with the most degrees. It's not the person who has multiple doctorates in front of their name. It's not the person with multiple awards and great achievements. It's not the person who has a Nobel Peace Prize. The, the greatest person in God's sight is one who serves in genuine humility as a selfless servant, just as Jesus did. So Jesus really, he sums up the teaching here about a true and fault, what these true and false teachers were. How do you know the difference between a true and a false leader? Well, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So watch out for the person who is constantly trying to exalt themselves. But the person who has humbled themselves is the one who should be exalted. And really, that's the exact opposite of the world's standard, isn't it? The world's standard says, hey, you need to exalt yourself. You need to climb the corporate ladder. You need to push everybody off the corporate ladder so you can climb up to the top. You know, if you don't keep pushing yourself forward, who else is going to do that? That's what the world says. So you need to get ahead. You need uh, forget humbling yourself. If you humble yourself, you're going to lose out. You're going to get pushed aside. So you need to be the one who pushes everybody else out of the way, exalt yourself so that the boss can see you. Right? That's, that's basically what the world says. But in God's sovereign wisdom, he had something else in mind here, didn't he? He decreed that self-exaltation has no place in a Christian's life. Anybody who represents Christ is to exalt Christ and to humble themselves. So again, our theme for today is this. False spiritual leaders show their hypocrisy by worshiping themselves. That's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. Jesus said they're hypocrites, they're fakes, they're phonies. They don't practice what they preach, that's why they're hypocrites. And why were they doing this? They wanted to be worshipped. They love themselves. So unlike the proud scribes and Pharisees, the true spiritual leader works in God's authority. He lives in integrity. 
sympathy, spirituality, humility, and lowly service. He's filled with grace, mercy, love, and willing self-giving. Like Jesus, we see here that a true leader, someone who is actually spiritual, is going to manifest the heart of a servant. They're going to humble themselves and going to exalt God. So, my friend, beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. And remember Jesus' words. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted.